Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy's Show and Tell. This is Tom, and as you all know, Show and Tell is a show where we like to bring on cool guests to talk about something cool that they're working on. Today's cool guest is Rob Lee, and the game we're going to be talking about is When the Moon Hangs Low. So, welcome, Rob. Hi there. Thank you for joining me. I'm glad you reached out. All right, you reached out to Michael, and you wanted to talk about this game, and I saw it, and it looks pretty edgy, and I'm all about that. those games where I can play like super cool uh grim dark characters with a billowing cape and you know say very cringy dark lines maybe that's not how you made it to be super well, serious you know. but <laughs> hopefully yeah, not no it's cool. <laughs> it's gonna be cool so anyway before we really get too deep into this uh how about you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us what is isolation games and what have you been doing as far as game design goes so uh, I'm a an indie game developer from the south of England in the UK. Um, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s and have been playing roleplay games for a, a while now, uh, <laughs> since I was probably 13 or 14 and first discovered uh, Games Workshop and then stumbled into Warhammer Fantasy and eventually D&D. Um, okay. And I've probably been writing roleplay games almost as long as that. Um, but properly creating roleplay games for the past five, six years um, and publishing them sort of for the past four and maybe ma- actually making money off them for less than that. Um, but it's uh, it's been a real passion of mine. And I created Isolation Games a couple of years ago when I started um, publishing via DriveThru RPG um, when I put out my first roleplay game, uh, Age of Steel, um, and yeah i've it's it's my hobby it's my primary hobby i've got some other very geeky hobbies which all kind of interlock with role play games um and yeah the the sort of the mechanics and theory of role play game creation is is my jam so that's me and uh, yeah i created isolation games because it's just me so i'm the isolated gamer and uh i'm publishing on my own Okay, meaning names need meaning. Okay, yeah. cool. All right, I, okay, Warhammer Fantasy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. First, okay, so, first edition Woofrup, as we called it. <laughs> okay, so that's hilarious. So I have one experience with Warhammer Fantasy. I was at a convention. Okay, and I'm just hanging out with some friends, and one of the guys was like, "Hey, uh, Tom, you. This is a while ago. He's like, he's like, you're not. You haven't played games for very long. You got into games with Five E." do you want to roll up some Warhammer fantasy characters? <laughs> I was like, what? I don't know. So we did this and we rolled randomly for everything. And it is still to this day, one of the best experiences I've ever had. It was just so funny. Like, yeah. just I'm like, what do you mean? I got to roll for bed rolls. Like, what does yeah, this even yeah. mean? Yeah. You, it's no other system I've really played where you can start with like, an epic band of heroes of a rat catcher, a plague victim, a surgeon. And <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. we've got to go and fight some orcs and save a village. <laughs> it was like one of the characters, he he couldn't, he was, his character was illiterate, but he, we rolled everything randomly and he wound up rolling for a wizard. And so he couldn't do any spells. Yep. It was, <laughs> it was wild. So I guess, so you, you so Warhammer Fantasy, how, how, what kind of gamer would you just like, what kind of games do you like them? Um, Cause I know I like a lot of different games. What about yourself? Do you kind of like that crunch to it? You like story games to you? Like what's the ideal game? I mean, uh, I, I 
like to think I've got quite an eclectic taste in roleplay games. I'll, again, as I said, roleplay theory is my jam, so I'll read everything and anything. Um, okay. But um, playing games, uh, I much prefer the crunchier side, maybe not too much, but then I do like a nice story game as well. So it's really, it's an, it depends on the game itself is what I'm looking for, what I'm interested in. So, um, you know, I, I love Warhammer Fantasy. I still love Warhammer Fantasy. I, I've played Rollmaster for when I feel really masochistic. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I've played D&D 5 edition and third 3.5. Um, uh, but then I've also, I'm really into um, story games like uh, Brindlewood Bay um, has recently caught my attention and it's, I love it. Um, and some of the sort of like things like I've, I've read I'd never played um, Bluebeard's Bride, which is a yeah. sort of another power by the apocalypse. You know, it's a fantastic game from a design and a layout and a artwork point of view. I've never played it, but I absolutely adore reading it. It's so well sort of produced and of its niche. So I love, yeah. I love Brindlewood Bay. That's another yeah. one. Just being a just be able to do like classic BBC mysteries. Is, yeah, it's so good. So let's talk about then when the moon hangs low. Hmm? So what's the elevator pitch for? And then in context of what we were just talking about it, where would you kind of place where when the moon hangs low as far as on that scale of really crunchy story game where would you place it so elevator pitch and where's this game fit in the rpg scene so the the elevator pitch it's um a gothic action game in which players take on the role of hunters which are people who are cursed with a terrible fate after a chance encounter with the forces of darkness and they find themselves drawn to um, a city that's teetering on the sort of the brink of chaos um, and you must manage your resolve, which is your mental and spiritual health, as much as your other resources or risks succumbing to your curse. Um, and it's, as we've said, it's very inspired by things like um, Bloodborne, Darkest Dungeon, Berserk, um, the Baz Lag Cycle by China Melville. Um, and it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a gothic action is the term I'm chucking around for it. And yeah, on that crunch versus story, it's... Um, I'd probably say sort of somewhere in the middle. It's not a very crunchy game. There is things like ammo tracking, but at the same time, I've written into it that you know, don't worry too much about that. There's not a rule for everything. It's very, it's the the dice system and the rules are meant to emulate a sort of a pulpy, um, fast-paced game where you only need a couple of rolls to work out what's actually going on at a particular action, um, and you know players are encouraged to sort of think on their feet and describe things it's how i've run it i like to think that's how the rules come across as well um and uh yeah so okay so i love um very quick based action games that let me do really cinematic combat like that's like that's my jam there because i feel like there's so much good storytelling that you can do in combat so how much uh and I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. So how much you talk about these there being hunters. And when I think hunters, I think about, you know, people going out, finding monsters and killing them. How much of this game is like like combat or fighting stuff? I mean, uh, I, again, bringing up games design, they always go on about the pillars of game design. And I like to think the pillars of 
when the moon hangs low's design um are there's three of them there's combat there's investigation and there's interaction um so it was it's i would like to say it's equal thirds um so combat is important it is a game about you know going toe-to-toe with the forces of darkness and at the end of the day, you know, a, a, a trusty sword or a flintlock pistol are the best way to deal with it. But then you've also got investigation, so it's, you know, solving strange crimes, working out why a, a ghost keeps haunting this churchyard, you know, finding this missing artefact. Um, and then interaction as well. There's, um, there's you know, the, the city that's set in Haramir is full of interesting and weird NPCs and it's talking to them and working out maybe the mystery behind what's going on in this cursed city and why things are happening out how they are. So, yeah, there's, you know, there it, there is emphasis on combat, but I'd like to think there's the equal emphasis on the other two pillars of the design as well. So, okay. So what is, but going back, we'll t- I want to dive into mechanics, but before we get too far into that... What is, for somebody who doesn't know, what is gothic action? So uh, gothic action, when I first started writing When the Moon Hangs Low, it was it was um, When the Moon Hangs Low, a gothic horror roleplay game. And one of my playtesters very early on went, is it really gothic horror? It's it Does it really sit in that genre? And I was like, well, maybe not. Um, gothic action is a term I've coined, but I suspect I'm not the first person to, to slot things in there. It's just, I'm hoping it people catch on that I've used this term and you know I become famous for it um but gothic action is uh, so gothic horror is your traditional um inspired by the gothic revival period very dark very gloomy all your architecture is soaring towers and gargoyles and churchyards um and there's something horrible lurking and it's a, a genre of very weak protagonists versus very strong antagonists you know um jonathan harker versus dracula you know he can't really fight dracula the best he can hope is to sort of survive his experience um again like american werewolf in london not technically gothic horror but kind of but again the people fighting the werewolf are very weak sort of uh mixing it up with sort of the um hugh jackman van helsing or um, things like Bloodborne, where uh, it's there's terrible, horrible things out there, but your guy's got a sword and a flintlock pistol, and you know, by golly, he's going to go and stick his sword in the the bad guy, and you know, you're still going to emerge beaten and bloody, but you've got a good chance of fighting off darkness, and it's that sort of you know, the terrible thing is there, but we can fight the terrible thing on a, somewhat of an equal footing. So that's that's gothic action. I'm so glad you brought up the Van Helsing movie because I was going to bring it up if you didn't. That is one of my favorite movies ever. I know I know it's like there's so many things wrong with it, but it was just such a fun, cool movie. And I was it's so mad a, we didn't get a sequel. It's a guilty pleasure. It's like one of those things I know I shouldn't like it, but I, I really do. It's it's a terrible, terrible movie, but I, I love watching it. It's so good. <laughs> so good. Oh, hey, also another question. Have you ever beat Darkest Dungeon? Because I have not. I can't. No. No, I was a, a I was a, a a Kickstarter backer. I've been playing it since it like was first alpha released, and I've still I've got into the darkest dungeon. And cannot finish it. <laughs> Same. I get to like the second level, and I'm just like, oh, I'm yeah. done. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So then, all right. So what does a session of when the moon hangs low look like? So you gather all of your friends, sit down at the table. You're going to play this game. What's it look like? So uh, the sort of the the 
in-game framing device for a typical session is that um, law and order is broken down in Haramir, the, the city that it's set in, and um, people can't turn to the, the regular militia or the, the church that runs the city for help. So they go to a, um, there's a place within Haramir called the Wall of Woe, where you write down what your problem is on a, a piece of paper and you stick it on the Wall of Woe. And if you're lucky, a hunter will come along and take your contract and fulfill it. So the there are tables for rolling up random contracts or games masters are encouraged to come up with their own so the a typical session is you would start out with your your contract work out you know if it's investigate a crime retrieve an object hunt down and slay a monster um, maybe even chart part of the city that's you know gone uncharted since the all the chaos has begun and then your your characters go out and you 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 take on this mission and in the process of taking on this mission you have to manage like, as I said earlier, your resolve as much as your other resources. Resolve is the sort of your spiritual and mental well-being, which characters have a pool of it, and they use it for using their strange, wonderful powers. But it's also reduced by encountering scary things. So monsters, darkness, um, unexpected surprises will re also reduce your resolve. And if you run out of resolve, then your character's curse increases by a level. And at each level of their curse, different effects happen. Some of them give you strange powers. Some of them give you negative role-playing effects. Um, and if you succumb too far to your curse, then then your character becomes lost to darkness. And depending on each curse, that that takes its own particular form. So is so it's like curse. Like if I get curse, am I dead then, mm -hmm. or is my character still good to go? No. Um, it was very important to me as part of the design that. Um, there's no um, sort of loss of agency with a character. So um, a, a lot of, I really enjoy Call of Cthulhu, um, but a lot of um, people say that they don't like Call of Cthulhu because it's like, oh, you've lost your sanity check. Yeah. You're, you know, you, you're incapacitated for however many rounds or your character goes in temporarily insane and disappears off into the mist. With When the Moon Hangs Low, none of the um, curse effects take away agency from the character. They just give you new things to incorporate into your roleplay. So um, your character might um, suddenly start becoming a bit more stubborn and grumpy because they're, they're in pain from their curse. Uh, or they might be able to do more damage in combat, but they start not being able to tell friend from foe. And, you know, if as you're getting further and further into combat, you're having to make rolls to avoid swinging into your friends as well as your enemies. Interesting. Um, and, yeah, when you're finally lost, your character is then no longer playable but again they're not they're never dead they're just the character becomes something else and is is becomes an npc one way or another that's cool so i so it's talking about like curses and whenever i think about like gothic stories obviously there's this whole idea of good versus evil all right but then also there's this element of gothic that is very much the sinisterness of what is inside of us so how do you feel about is this a game where players play heroes or is there room for people playing evil characters and how do you feel about evil characters um i mean it's um i love i love a good evil character i love a character with a good evil motivation in fact the best evil character is one that is completely rational and understandable um as much as stick as people give um marvel Thanos is one of the best written bad guys in recent years because 
you can kind of look at his justifications in the MCU movies and go, I can kind of get what what he's going for. You know, the best the best villain is the it's the anti villain, the one who is completely rational but is just using despicable means. Um, but I mean, um, when the moon hangs low, it's again, yeah, it's very much that sort of exploration because it's one of the sort of the, the corner posts of gothic horror is it's not just what's out there that's terrible it's what's in inside that can be terrible yep. you know franken's dr frankenstein is driven by his own hubris the 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 werewolf is tragic even dracula you know has a has something inside him that's motivating him um so uh, all of the so hunters have marks and each particular mark is is what is your curse each mark has its own sort of um maybe not Freudian sort of psychology of, well, this, you know, this is meant to um, embody this kind of person who might, you know, the, the mark is as much a, an internal thing as an external thing that's been inflicted on you. So, yeah, the, the idea of hunters being slightly flawed individuals and maybe embracing some of the sort of the, the more evil character to um, aspects is definitely a thing I've written into it. And some of the fiction that I've got in, the, the book at the moment, one of the characters is, was very much billed when I was talking to the um, the writer as, yeah, this is the token evil character in the party. You can make them really unpleasant. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot. I, I personally, it's, it's one of those things, as somebody who runs a lot of games, I'm usually apprehensive when characters want to play evil characters. Um, and I guess it's obviously everybody would need to discuss, but I feel like it's so much easier for me to let them do that when we're playing a gothic horror or in your case gothic action we've done a lot of stuff with playing like ravenloft games and different things like that so okay that's cool so what's the core mechanic what's the core mechanic with this game what dice are people rolling and when are they rolling it and what are they trying to what are they trying to roll so uh the core mechanic it's um a mechanic that i created I think about eight years ago, <laughs> uh, when I started like writing my first roleplay game, and it's what's um, travelled through all three of my published games to date, and has been slowly refined with each edition. And um, so you have—I don't have a name for it. I really should come up with one. Uh, you have three core attributes, um, which is physical, mental, and presence. Or yes, um, so it's the the sort of the social, mental, um, physical stats, uh, which are rated from one to five. And then skills are rated in how um, trained you are, whether you're untrained, trained, or mastered. And you roll a number of d6 equal to the the stat. Um, and um, you're you're looking for a target number on each dice, which is based on your level of training and your skill. So on a normal untrained skill, a five or a six is a success. On a trained, it's a four, five, or six. On a mastered, it's a three, four, five, or six. Um, and then you count the number of dice that are a success and you compare it against a, a goal number set by the game's master. Or if you're in conflict with another character, then it's a roll off and you compare how many successes you get. Okay. I am. So you kind of, you're building a dice pool then. Yep. I yes. love dice pools. Yeah. <laughs> I just do. I don't know. I got, so I got into games with fifth edition. So I played D20 games for a mm-hmm. long time. And then I discovered several different dice pool games, D6 games. And I was like, mm, yeah, this is all I play now. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so why D6s then? Uh, I mean, the very sort of long nerdy answer is uh, I've got a friend who's a mathematician. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> we, uh, we were talking about it because originally when I wrote it, it was D10s. 
Um, it could it come from a sort of hybrid of cyberpunk interlock, that sort of game system. Uh, and then I sort of started messing around with dice pools again, um, very World of Darkness, um, their sort of similar system. Um, and my my mathematician friend, we were talking about averages and odds and how um, I can't remember because it was so long ago, but it was basically the D6 is like the perfect dice um, for um, it was like uh, the range that you get and the odds of success and things like that. It's the D6 is the best one. You know, D10 gives you a bit too much swing. Uh, D12s are, are silly. D20s are even worse. But D6 is sort of the, the, the sweet zone. And also everyone's always got D6. You know, you don't have to. What rummage around in your dice bag for, <laughs> you know, why did I write it using D8? That's funny. You said, I and I and I think I'm quoting you right. You said D12s are silly. <laughs> I agree with I you. I swear I'm going to get some flack. Now. I agree with you 100. No, 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 we kind of. It's kind of a. It's a running joke, and this is the. It's been keeps on getting brought up recently. I feel like uh, the Michael, uh, my co-host, he um is like he is obsessed with D12s, and I prefer the d6 so anyway so here we go michael d12s are silly that's what i'm gonna start saying yeah i yeah i mean uh, the other thing you can point out is that a d12 and a d6 have the same odds we'll just give we'll just use if he wants to roll some d12s we'll give him those um the d12s that are just the, really the d6s twice <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. there you go okay you so go. so one of the things is i really like your setting here and there's this kind of this trend I'm seeing where people buy games for setting so much. So as a designer, how do you feel? This is kind of more of I want to talk about some design stuff. How do you mm. feel system matters versus setting? Like, what do you think attracts people more? I mean, it's yeah, this the sort of the eternal question. Um, I I always go personally. I shop for systems when I'm. Looking, uh, sorry, settings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did the wrong thing around. I always shop for settings when I'm looking for systems. Um, I, I can use. You can take a, a, a universal system like the D20 system. You can write your own setting easily. Some people, you know, I love writing settings. That's my what I, you know, as much as I enjoy games design, I also love a nice sort of crafted system. Uh, God, I'm keep switching the two terms. <laughs> okay, uh, I, uh, I love a nice crafted setting. Um where um you can explore you know you can create a city or a continent or you know different factions and species and things like that um it, i always find it really interesting how um you can use a setting to reinforce a system um no other way around god i'm being I'm, yeah. uh you can re use a, a system to reinforce a setting um so uh having a particular theme or a um uh like a, a a feel that you want to have in your setting can be reinforced by the system you're used using so um if you're writing a horror system uh, setting you can use um like a sanity or resolve system as i've done to try and you know bring in the bring to the um the gameplay that horror is is ever present and that your every you know your every action has to balance it um if you're doing a more sort of pulpy setting again the system can be used to reinforce that so it's i always find it really interesting how different systems sell themselves and how settings can be reinforced by those systems as well so yeah it's yeah, I find it really interesting to look at different things. It's like, 
Um, I, there was the uh, Dark Souls Kickstarter that came out recently, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And then they said, we're using 5e. Right. <laughs> because as a system, I don't feel that supported the setting. And there's very interesting sort of interplays like that. Thanks for reminding me that that Dark Souls game existed so I can feel some more feel some more hate in me. Okay. Um yeah, sorry. All right, so no no Dark Souls talk. All right, no Dark Souls talk. Okay. So, uh, how I want to ask you then, you mentioned something about some sort of sanity rolls, some different things, but so how does when the moon hangs low tie system to setting? Yes, I've uh one of the things I've I sort of tried to create with this is a a system that yeah, supports the the idea of gothic action so um one of the core mechanics is resolve which we spoke about where characters mental and sort of um spiritual well-being is as important as their health as well um so while you can take you can fight a monster and you'll take health damage from claws and teeth uh you'll also take resolve damage from actually just being in the fight and experiencing the creature which is sort of reinforcing that again like uh your spiritual well-being is is at risk from being in this setting it's a gothic it's a dark setting where things can strip away your mental resolve quite quickly um there's also um various you know social and, and investigative mechanics as well that you can use to investigate scenes which again is the investigative pillar of game design um, and I'm currently, um, having spoken to some of the um, players on my Discord, entertaining, sort of putting together a, another subsystem for investigation. Uh, again, after reading Brindlewood Bay and um, watching a couple of videos, um, it's one of the things I've realised that a lot of investigative games that say, oh, we're, you know, it's based around invest- investigation, don't really have a system for managing investigations, which Brindlewood Bay, I'm incredibly envious of how well yeah. they've done their investigation mechanic. It's brilliant. Um, so I've been sort of trying to work out if there's a way of gamifying investigations um, to some degree. Yeah, I just think, yeah, no, so even though you're gothic action and not gothic horror, I just think about the, like, the, like Dracula and just how all of that was a... I mean, it was an investigation. Like, that's like the whole thing was a mystery. I feel like, yeah, gothic stuff, if it has like some strong investigative elements, it's just, cause it's almost like, fa- I don't know. I, I Gothic to me is almost like fantasy noir. And so it's very much like it lends itself to having like investigative driven yeah, characters. Yeah. And um, yeah, so the, um, some of the other things um, that uh, sort of reinforce the setting. So again, the city is, is, decaying and collapsing there are these sort of various political groups that are sort of vying for power uh, there is also a system for gaining um influence with the various factions and using it to equip yourselves so the church can give you more like holy relics and give you access to parts of the city the church control the militia can give you more just physical goods and access to parts of the city the militia control um it's very the, the players can choose how they sort of take their characters in certain directions so i want to ask you then all right uh obviously i like yourself i am usually attracted to setting first okay so in this setting like i was mentioned earlier it kind of checks all the boxes for me of stuff that i really like so tell us a little bit more about the setting like what your setting is what is 
Haramaya. So uh, Haramaya is, uh, or Haramaya, depending on your inflection, um, it's very inspired by um, sort of uh, a number of cities in the sort of the 1840s, that sort of the early Victorian, not quite the industrial era, the beginning of the industrial era, era. so cities like London, Paris, Prague, um, and it's it's meant to be uh, a city where um, suddenly uh, it was struggling, and then suddenly they found underneath the city um, a, a strange necropolis from a, a, a bygone era, maybe not even a human era, um, full of gold and gems and strange things. And this city overnight became incredibly wealthy from dragging all the gold and gems out. And then while they're exploring the city, um, the the people found this tomb containing a great mummified creature, which they called the Undergod. Um, and they've discovered that um, by mining the creature, they could produce something called the Bitter Sacrament, which is a, a drug that gives you eternal life, or at least temporary eternal life, which further made the city incredibly powerful. And it sort of drew um, hundreds of thousands of people from across the empire to Haramir, and this sort of golden age of prosperity unfolded. And then this strange plague set in. No one really knows where it came from. But overnight, people began succumbing to this, um, what they call the sorrow plague, uh, where people would uh, begin weeping blood, and they would slowly begin um, uh, falling ill, and, and mo many would die, but not all of them. The ones that didn't die from this sickness uh, were transformed, and they became the sorrowful, which are these sort of animalistic, zombie-like creatures. Um, and at the same time as this, the, there's outside forces who are envious of Haramir's power, um, are waiting for something to go on. So they've set up a quarantine around Haramir and kind of shut the city away from the rest of the empire. Uh, and there was also a, a great fire and a riot. And the city has kind of fallen into to chaos now. All civil order has collapsed. The militia are grossly outnumbered, out, outgunned by the, the creatures running through the streets. These strange... Um, giant creatures called ghouls have appeared, which may or may not be the, the sorrowful who have survived for long enough to undergo some sort of horrible transformation. And it's this, yeah, gothic, awful the, place. <laughs> you know what else? All right, so you said you did some Warhammer stuff. All right, mm -hmm. maybe maybe I'm kind of like, maybe you don't know. And I'm just going to say, this reminds me, like I want to play this game on a really big I don't even know if there's miniature miniatures. Like I, I don't play miniatures games. I don't like as far as like when my RPGs, theater of the mind stuff. But I want to play this game on a big Mordheim table. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Like for some people, for people who don't know what Mordheim is, go look it up. Like oh, is this it. like? Oh, it's... It was brilliant. Yeah. I, again, it's it's all this is all things. It's all rattling around in my brain. I love the idea of here's a a, a is the the trope is the cursed city on a hill or the spoiled yeah. city on a hill this there's this place that was amazing and now it's really not but there are people still here and it's the idea of um a city that's like walled in and trapped but there's still people inside and um the the quarantine will let people in but they just won't let you out again and still even though there's this terrible place haramir is you know now renowned across the empire as being awful and cursed but the drug is still there. So some people will still cross the quarantine to go and try and get this bitter sacrament that gives eternal life, or they still know about the gold that's under the city. You know, it doesn't matter. You can't get out with it. They still want it. Super cool. So then, all right, so let's talk about then. You're going to be going to Kickstarter. Mm. So what's the plan there? 
So um, when I created the, the the original PDF of When the Moon Hangs Low, which uh, was released pretty much a year ago today, um, it's uh, it was on a very minimal budget. Um, I I produce all the PDFs myself. Um, I had a friend who very kindly did some writing for me. I've got a, a couple of amazing artists who did some artwork, but I had a very small budget. So a lot of the artwork in the book is um, uh, free stock. Um, which I sort of doctored a little bit, so at least it looked somewhat gothic. Um, but I was always, you know, it was it was a nice PDF, but I was always like, oh, I would just love a little bit more artwork. So the Kickstarter is is mostly to finance a completely bespoke artworked printed edition. Um, I could have made a printed edition from the, the current PDF, but again, if I'm going to go through all of that, some really nice you know, gory artwork with like proper spine chilling monsters in there is is what I'd love to see in there. So that's the the Kickstarter is to to finance that. I've got some a couple of great artists. Um, I've got a, a, a composer who did some music for the original trailer, who basically when he was working on the trailer was like, oh, I'd love to I'd love to do a score for people while they're playing this to play in the background. And I was like, oh, that that'd be great. You know, maybe if I do a Kickstarter, <laughs> uh, yeah. and then when I was talking about it a while ago, I, was, I contacted him and said, were you, were you serious about doing a score? He was like, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it, it would include a, a, a short score to go with that. And then, yeah, so hopefully if I achieve the goal, we'll end up with a lovely artworked soft cover or hardcover printed edition um, of the current PDF with some, some, you know, small content changes that have been highlighted uh, in the last year of people playtesting and, and, you know, reading through and finding the, the Easter egg spelling, spelling mistakes I sprinkled through it. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, with some kick-ass artwork to go with it. Okay. All right. So another bonus question for you. How terrified are you of going to Kickstarter? <laughs> oh, very. Yeah, yeah. It, this is my first foray into Kickstarter. Um, and I didn't start small. You know, it's it, uh, I need um, £7,000 for yeah. my budget, which isn't a huge amount by Kickstarters, but it's definitely not as cheap as some of the Zine or Zine uh, Kickstarters that people are doing at the moment. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit sort of, uh, but I'm confident, you know, people have been very complimentary and very kind about how much they enjoy when the moon hangs low so um yeah it's it's a nerve-wracking thing but nothing worth doing is ever easy so correct i mean yeah it's it's one of those things it's it's scary but yeah no it's definitely doable so i wanted to ask you then um have you have you taken this game to any conventions at all and uh, played it there what's that been like I, I haven't. I, it's been um, very heavily play tested, um, and um, so I this the development of Wind Moon Hangs Low was a, a year's worth of development before I published it, um, and that goes on top of all the development that went into the system that came before it and the system that came before that. So the and as it's the same dice system, I'd like to say it's been very heavily, very heavily te- play tested through sort of three iterations. Um, but I do know that, I mean, I have a, one of my friends who's a writer who co-wrote on Age of Steel routinely takes copies of Age of Steel to conventions that he attends and they usually sell very well. And he's seen people playing it at the conventions that he's been selling it at. So while I've never taken it to a convention, it has been taken to conventions. <laughs> there you go. That's what you want. You want people playing your game. So, okay. Last question for you then. All right. Can I play a vampire in this game? Uh, you can play 
sort of a vampire. <laughs> okay, that's some good the, enough. Some of the marks, uh, they're all the marks that I've created. There's um, four in the original, or oh, six in the original book. Then uh, there's another four on Discord, and then there's potentially more coming. Are all inspired by gothic horror tropes. And, um, you know, a couple of, no, there's not a one-to-one, you're a vampire, you're a werewolf, but some of them are, you you feel a thirst for things that are not normal fare, uh, you don't like the light of the sun anymore, um, you feel much more comfortable in cold crypts and things like that. Okay. Can I, my, can my big, bad, evil guy be a vampire? I mean, yeah, eventually, if you, if you, uh... Oh, so as the big bad evil guy. Well, yeah. again, yes. Uh, I mean, the 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 as the people progress towards ghouls, they definitely become more bat-like, and they definitely they enjoy the taste of blood, and they don't like sunlight. So it's they're oh, yeah. not a vampire, but they they are vampires. <laughs> Great. Any of my players who are listening to this are like, oh, awesome. Tom has another game <laughs> where he's going to give us vampires. <laughs> so I love vampires. So, okay. So as we wrap things up, what is the, if you had to tell somebody like one last thing about when the moon hangs low, what would it be? I don't know. Uh, it's, I, I, I love it. Um, a lot of people who've played have, have, have love it. I, I would hope that they would love it as well. Um, and yeah, it's, it's gothic and weird, and I would hope that people would enjoy that. Sweet. I That's like my favorite question because nobody's <laughs> ever expecting it. So, <laughs> But gothic and weird sounds great. So, uh, Rob, where can people find you on social media? So uh, I'm on Twitter at isolation underscore games. Um, uh, I, you can find When the Moon Hangs Low at whenthemoonhangslow.co.uk. Um, and I, yeah, I will be on Kickstarter soon. Um, if you search for when the moon hangs low on Kickstarter, hopefully it will, the algorithm will do its thing. Hopefully. Yes. And listeners, we will include all of these links in our show notes. Uh, this is probably, you know what? Podcast really schedules are weird, but this is pro you're probably listening to this when the Kickstarter is going, but who knows? We're going to include those links, but yeah, just look up, yeah, when the moon hangs low because this looks this looks pretty sweet. So, uh, Rob, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you. Yeah, no, that's cool. So, folks, uh, as always, like we close out every show, do not forget, when you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can. 
and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.